We're in a series that we're calling The New Normal, and we looked at some principles at the beginning about what church should be like, you know, how it's ever-changing but never-changing, and then we started to look at uh, some of the illustrations of how those principles get lived out in the book of Acts. And here's how Acts functions. The early part of Acts, particularly the first four chapters, the pressure is coming from the outside, persecution from the outside. But beginning in chapter five, that shifts. And now the pressure, the difficulty is coming from the inside. And in Acts chapter six, that pressure relates to care, needs and care within the community. There's questions, there's crises, there's complications coming from care. And so when we had Acts 6 on the schedule, we thought, who better to help us understand the questions and complexities of care than Chad? So Chad, welcome. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, so as we, uh, if you don't mind kind of turning with me to Acts uh, chapter 6, and, and as you turn or open up or look on your screen there, um, some of these principles that will, will show up on the screen, those are some things that I'm going to hit on uh, a little bit today. Some will be kind of more, more significant, more uh, impactful to you than others, some of them that might really stand out, some of you, some of them that might, well, I don't quite see that there, um, but I'm just, it's my prayer kind of this morning that the Spirit speaks to you uh, in a very real and tangible way, and maybe it's one of these points on the screens that we'll go through this morning, maybe it's something just as we kind of focus just on these seven uh, verses that you're really kind of, kind of struck by this morning. So uh, let's read Acts 6 together here. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So as we kind of dive in uh, into verse 1 there, we see, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, and if we stop and pause for a moment, increasing, we kind of see the context that we ha- are given here in, in Acts. And Charles kind of unpacked that a little bit for us last week. The church is growing quickly. It's in a rapid state of growth. And it's not that the needs are, are being not met. Uh, it's just that there's uh, some tension and kind of conflict between these two groups. So the church went from a few hundred to a few thousand through Peter's sermon that we just saw right before Acts. And so it's in a rapid state of growth. Uh, as we move further along there in that verse, the Hellenistic Jews. Now, that's not something that we kind of talk about. That's not normal, everyday language, Hellenistic Jews. So if we think about the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews, we can just kind of boil that down to Greek and Hebrew Christians. So they weren't, um, the author here doesn't call Christians Christians yet. They're still known as Jews. So these are the disciples of Jesus, some from the Greek influence, some from the Hebrew background. And there was some tension there, some of the, some differences in the culture. The Greeks and Hebrews had some kind of uh, disagreements and just, they didn't like how they kind of interpreted maybe scripture in terms of adapting to their culture. And the biggest thing was a language barrier as well. That was a huge barrier for, for them. So that was some of the tension kind of underlying this kind of presenting problem of the care, care need. And so there, as we continue on there, the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So we, don't, we see that it's not necessarily an intentional thing, 
but it, it seems like that they're being overlooked kind of unintentionally. Just this rapid growth has caused kind of an administrative type of situation where it's hard to deal with all these situations all, all at once. So unity is the big thing that's being attacked here. And this is the first time in the life of the early church that we see unity being affected internally. There's persecution from the outside, as Charles mentioned, but this is the first time where unity is coming, is being challenged from within the church. So moving on to uh, verse 2. The 20 gathered all the disciples together. So that's, again, the 12 are called disciples, but here they're just gathering the other Christians together and said, and you might think, well, we don't need to stop there. That's not something to kind of, you know, focus on. But the important thing here is that they're all saying this with one voice. And if you know anything about the 12 disciples, they could basically, if they were in our context this morning, they could have a reality show based on them because of all their differences. You know, just the hyping up the drama and seeing them not disagreeing all the time. Um, they're really a bunch, of, a bunch of characters. And so for all of them to say this with one voice is really kind of a testimony to the Spirit working in these, and, and definitely what the church needs to hear at this point is their leadership saying with one voice. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. And you might read that and say, wait on tables? That kind of sounds a little sarcastic, or is like, are they really saying the Word of God is more important than serving people's physical needs? And, uh, and I would say no. The, the Greek here is pointing to a serving through word and serving to kind of food distribution. So some, I like some other translations here that say to serve tables or oversee even food distribution. Some translations say that. And uh, so that kind of is the emphasis here that is that it's word and deed. Nothing, there's no, no, thing, uh, no ministry that's more important than the other. They're both of equal importance. So the apostles here aren't saying that, oh, no, we just have to focus on this. It's that both are equally important, but they can't do it alone. They can't manage both of these things. They need more help. And so that's where we kind of get the idea of, if you remember some of the P's that we threw up there before, participating and pivoting. The early church had to pivot here in order to make sure the needs are, are being met of the, of the early church. Uh, moving on here in verse 3, brothers and sisters, again, there's that kind of unified, familiar language, choose. And choose, we can think of in our time, is that, oh, yeah, we, we're familiar with democracy and you vote and that type of thing. But this is really an upside-down kind of idea for for these individuals from their background. It's more, they were used to more of a, a monarchy type of situation or wherever you were born into, uh, uh, if your parent was a, a cook or a blacksmith, that's, that's what you became. So there wasn't a lot of choosing uh, back then. And choose seven among, men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. So that's their qualifications, full of the spirit and wisdom. That's not usually something that would probably put on our uh, job application or our college application. I'm full of the spirit and wisdom. We usually look at other kind of references and qualifications. But here, this is, they're pointing out that this is the most important thing uh, to focus on. So we see the pivoting starting to happen, the, kind of the idea of the ever-changing, never-changing church that we've been, been going through, and uh, that the method is going to have to change, that the 12 can't do all of this themselves. They're going to need seven to kind of take up this other care ministry. And, and that's kind of a picture of the church, too. That's not dependent on just one or two people or a staff of a church, that it takes everyone to make, uh, make the church healthy and make it to kind of uh, form as it, as it should. And uh, you see it's kind of an idea here of pouring into each other too. And that's not kind of like not really apparent, but that's kind of what I'm reading into it a little bit. The idea of if there is people to choose from, then there must be some discipling going on. There must be something happening where people are getting poured into. And that's one of the things that I appreciated when I first started here at Calvary is that they hooked me up with Matt Reed, who was a pastor here for many years, and he said, He's going to be our guy. He's going to be our mentor. And we still meet regularly today and where he can kind of pour into me and he can point me back to scripture, back to prayer, 
in times of, of difficulty or, or crisis. And that's how we should all uh, um, be, we're all, we should all be doing together as a church. And I've seen that time and time again, and well, heard of it, you know, from ABFs and small groups that I um, just have heard how you guys are coming around each other in times of, of crisis to meet each other's needs. And that's just a picture of what the church is, is supposed to be. That's a picture of the healthy church. So it's really cool to, to see that. So we'll move on here in verse four, and then we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So again, that idea of, of specialization is kind of occurring here. So the disciples are saying, we're going to give our attention to the word, kind of like to preaching and teaching. And we need somebody else. We need this group to give uh, attention to the kind of the care needs. And prayer is, an, is a big thing to note here too, that, uh, that prayer is what unifies us and what keeps us uh, kind of connected to the source and how we know that this is not um, our plans, but God's plans. That this is how we know that we're on course, we're on the right track here when we're committed to prayer. And another thing that I just love about this church is that this is a, this is a praying church. And we, you know, as staff, we come into this very room from time to time throughout the year. We pick a different seat and we pray for the person that's going to be sitting in that seat, whether it's that week, whether it's a year from now, whether it's two years from now. And I know that there's even, there might be somebody, you know, three rows ahead of you right now that was praying for you as they literally built this church in 50 and 51. They were laying tiles, they were laying blocks, and they were praying over you as they did that. So I hope you're encouraged if this is your first time here with us this morning or in Quakertown or first time watching, viewing with us online, that you might be the answer to somebody's prayer this morning. You might not be sure why you're here, if this is the right place for you or what, what Jesus and Christianity is all about. But I think it's really cool to think about that. You might be in a seat. You might be somebody's answer to prayer that happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So I hope that's an encouraging kind of word um, for you this morning. But let's continue on here uh, in verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. And that kind of, uh, that kind of we can kind of stop there for a second. And that indicates that, that there was some participation. That it wasn't, no one was voluntold to kind of do this care ministry thing. People were wanted to participate, so it pleased the whole group. They were excited about their kind of freedom of choice and excited to run this ministry that I felt was not being run really well. So they chose Stephen, and Stephen's a guy that you can read about actually later uh, in this chapter. He's the first individual to be uh, martyred or killed for his faith in Jesus. And then it goes through all those those names, and I'm not going to try it again because I think I nailed it the first time, so I want to retire on top uh, and not try to do that again. Uh, But the big thing to notice is that they're all Greek here. And if you remember back to the beginning, who, what, what group was it that had a problem with the other group? It was the Greeks that were saying that, no, you're, you, our, our widows are being overlooked. And usually widows, it was not just widows, it was uh, orphans, strangers, aliens, it, folks in the community that were not able to meet their needs. And so here the Greeks get to be in charge of the whole care ministry. And again, focusing kind of on, behind the scenes here, there's a unification uh, type of idea that it doesn't matter who leads, we're all leading together. The big thing is unity. And it doesn't matter who does it, what group you're from, we're all kind of one in Christ. So that's a whole new concept for these folks coming from their background. This one in Christ idea is, is, is really new. Um, and the, all these guys had a reputation of some sort. And it says known reputation. And then another thing I love about, uh, I feel like this is the third or fourth time I've said that, uh, about Calvary is that I meet with folks Uh, not just myself, but on the care team, we kind of figured this out. In the past two years, we're meeting with somebody in person or on the phone every other day. So every other day for the past two years, somebody has been coming in for a financial 
or a spiritual need. And that's an opportunity where we get to kind of share the gospel with those folks. And so when I ask somebody when they come in and sit down and say, What's, what kind of brings you here today? How did you hear about us? What's going on? How can we help you? The number one answer by far, and this is from a group that the majority of folks are not connected to church here. They're not attenders or members. The majority of folks have said their number one answer is that I've heard your church that helps people. And that still kind of gets me a little bit today, even though it's been you know, two, three years. I've heard your church that helps people. And so that's the reputation that we have in our community. And I think that's really that's really cool. That's the reputation that you have built and that I get to be a part of here in our community as we kind of think forward of connecting and impacting our community. Um, so we care for folks in a lot of different ways here uh, at church, and there's you know, kind of far too many uh, to, to share about this morning. But um, just thank you so much for all that you do as you connect and impact and as you uh, image Christ um, to our community and, and to each other. So continuing on here in verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles. And this is kind of a throwback to, to Numbers where Moses was kind of commissioning Joshua. I was commissioned two years ago in Quakertown. I think it was around this time Dave was commissioned as our uh, children's pastor here in Southerton, who prayed and laid their hands on them. And again, there's the idea of praying for the community. And I think the big thing to notice here or to note is that um, it's not about their qualifications. It's not even about the reputation. Even though they were known, they had a good reputation if you think about the 12 disciples as Carlos and Charles has unpacked for us in the past, these were just everyday, regular guys. These were guys that even didn't make, you know, they didn't make a, the varsity team. They didn't make the JV team. They weren't even considered to be a group that you would want to kind of have come together. And I think that's a picture of, of the gospel and certainly something that can remind and encourage us that it doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've been, that God can use you in mighty ways. And the fact he likes, you know, kind of the more messed up you are, the more he can shine his glory kind of through you. The more it can, you can point to him and saying like, yeah, well, there's no way, you know, Chad could do that at home. It has to be the spirit working through him because, you know, there's no way he could possibly do that. So it's a great way to kind of just, um, you know, I think be encouraged that doesn't matter, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you are, um, or where you've been type of thing, that God can use you in so many ways, that you're now a son and daughter of the king when you put your faith in him. And that is you know, the greatest kind of uh, title that you could ever hope to have. Uh, so let's kind of um, start to land the plane here in verse 7. So the word of God spread. And if you think about it, that's kind of, uh, you might be like me and think, uh, you know, I only preach once or twice a year, so I'm not a preacher. So some of you might be sitting there, yeah, there's no way, I'm not a preacher either. But I would say that we're all preaching something, no matter where we are. We all have a preacher posture. That's another thing about preachers, if you notice. They love using alliteration. They like to talk about points with the same letter in front of it all the time. I don't know if you noticed that. So preacher posture, there's a, there's a freebie for you. Uh, they love preacher, so uh, they love to you know, have that alliteration. But everyone has kind of their own preacher posture. So if I, so here's, we'll just, we'll just throw this in for fun. So if I sat here and did this, who, who am I? Right you, know, right, you know, based on that preacher posture. So if I was preaching to you this morning and I was going like this, and if you need a hint, if I had converses on, perhaps, you know, that, that would be Carlos. So you know, you just pick that up by the nonverbals, by just seeing the posture. So whether you're going out this week into school, uh, into your workplace, wherever it is, you're preaching 
a gospel of somebody. It might be the gospel of Linda. It might be the gospel of Micah or Jeff. And it might be the gospel of, of Aaron. So you're preaching somebody's gospel. Is it Jesus' gospel or is it your gospel? You know, think about that in terms of the, the caring and sharing idea that you can, um, the nonverbal is kind of like the caring idea and then the verbal is, you know, well, the verbal. So the sharing idea. So that you're sharing and caring a message of somebody. It might be yourself. It might be uh, somebody else. So that's something to kind of keep in mind as you go throughout this week and, uh, and care and share well for folks. You know, sometimes you might be, you know, really good on the caring side, but people don't know if you're doing it in the name of Jesus or not because you never say it. Or you might be good at really like, uh, like preaching to somebody, but you, you rarely meet their care needs. So kind of having that balance is something to kind of think about as you, as you go this morning. Um, wrapping up that verse, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So that's, that's pretty much answering um, uh, the words of Jesus are coming true here. In Acts 1, we read, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here, Jerusalem is being won. Jerusalem is being taken for the gospel, and Jesus' words are coming true, and we're seeing that right here uh, in verse 7. So it's really cool even to notice the, at the last part of the verse there, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith That was their main opposition, was kind of the Roman culture, Greek culture, but then also the priests were the the main um, antagonist to the the gospel going forward. And here we have even the priests putting their faith in Jesus because they couldn't deny the caring, the miracles that were happening and the preaching that was happening through the work of the Spirit because they knew they knew these disciples and they knew like this it can't be it can't be Peter that's doing this right now. It has to be the work of the Spirit, which was very. which were attractional to them and really kind of helped them connect um, with God. So uh, let me just tell you kind of one, one little story here to, to end, and this is going to be your homework. I know some folks uh, give you homework sometimes. Carlos has given a really hard homework assignment before about like fasting for a week. I don't know if you, hear, you were here or heard that sermon. That was, that was tough. Hopefully this is not that tough. Um, but there was one time I was working uh, kind of before I came to Calvary. I worked in the mental health um, community-based uh, facility, and somebody walked in. And they said, uh, is this the front door? And I said, well, yeah, this is the front door. But actually, you're probably looking for the main entrance, which is around the back. So um, you want to go out, and I walk, kind of walked them out. And I said, you want to make a left, and you want to go around the corner to the main, uh, the main entrance. That's where you'll find whatever it is that you're looking for. And uh, you know, so I kind of walk out with them, and they walk out. And instead of taking the left, they go right, back out to the main road, and, and are gone. And I was kind of standing there for a second, like, what, what happened? And... Uh, as I thought about it, I realized that was, that, that was the hardest thing that that individual had to do. Just coming into the door, that was kind of the, the straw that broke her back. She came in, and it was like, I need help. I don't know what to do. I'm in the wrong place. I'm done. I'm out. I'm checking out. I can't do this. And she drove off, she drove off home. And that kind of sat with me. And you, So you better believe every time I was wandering around in that hallway and somebody came in the front door, you better believe that I walked them all the way around uh, to the entrance so that they could receive the help or care or whatever it was they were looking for. And I had good excuses, too. Like, there was two or three security doors to go through in the building. She would have never found her way back to the car. I was thinking two steps ahead, when really I just needed to be focusing on one step ahead, that next one step of getting that person to the front door, whatever that front door was in their life. So that's what I want to encourage you. That's your homework today and this week. Um, some of it might be internal stuff. Like, I didn't pick up on any nonverbals or verbals that this woman said. Like, I didn't, she didn't seem in distress, but clearly she was just on the brink. So there might be somebody in your life that you don't, you don't notice anything kind of physically, but there's a lot going on internally. How can you help them 
walk to that front door, even if they say, no, no, I don't need any help. I don't, I don't need, I'll be fine. Yeah, I can, fan it. I can manage this. Just make a left and I'll, it'll be fine. Where can you walk with them to that front door? Or you might be on the other end of the spectrum and you might be needing that care. You might be like that woman who walks in and is just kind of barely holding things together and taking that first step of emailing me or emailing us, giving us a call, sending in a text on the, on the chat feature. Like that might be that, that step that's just opening up that door that's really hard for you. We want you, we want you to know that we understand that. Like we really appreciate you sharing your personal um, stories and struggles with that, and we keep that confidential, and it's a sacred thing that you're doing. So if you're in that camp that you feel like this morning, that just, I encourage you to just take that next step. I know it's going to be hard to even just pick up the phone call. You know, the phone feels like it's, like it's just so heavy. I encourage you to do that um, this morning. So would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I just uh, thank you again so much for all you do for us every day. Uh, there's just so many blessings that you give us throughout our lives, and uh, some we take for granted, some we don't. And I just ask that you give us the strength to, to care for one another well. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you for the heritage that you've given us, that we have been able to continue to meet needs. Allow us to continue to do that as we move forward, and just, uh, just meet with us here and now in whatever situation we're going on. Help us to take that next step, whether it's coming alongside a friend or family member that needs help, or whether it's just uh, taking that first step to, to reach out, to make a call, to make an email. Would you, uh, would you just continue to walk with us throughout this r- remainder of this day? Help us to keep our mind uh, and hearts focused on you. Draw us closer to you together this morning. Amen.